0: Um, same time, same place. Um Right, so yeah, and there's other upcoming sessions if you want to check out SACBU's website. Um and you can also hear them on uh audio on podcast from that website as well. Um and there's also a suggestion box there for you can if you have any comments you might make. And something's being written down right now on uh left handed or ninth.
1: No, January ninth we return.
0: Oh, January 9th. Okay, that's right. Oh, that's right, so it wouldn't be next week. Uh, actually, this is January 19th. Is that right? No, so it's not it's really next... December, December 9th. You don't, that uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Okay, it's January... Okay, all right, perfect. Um, all right, so I, I, I guess it's time for the, uh, the, the Q&A. Um, I'll note that there's the microphone over here, um, <laughs> so you, if, if you have any questions, I encourage you to come up and uh, ask that. I didn't receive any written ones, but if you come up with one, I could certainly present it for you. Um, the topic, once again, is successes and challenges for the University of Lethbridge refugee students. Um, now, so i invite you to ask any, uh, any questions mm-hmm. you have, please state your name and use the provided microphone. Uh, and if you have some short topical comments that you want to make before, that's, mm-hmm. that's fine uh, ahead of any uh, uh, one or two respectful questions would be good. And then after you've asked your question, you can, you know, return to your seats uh, just so we get a chance for everyone. Um, right, and so yeah, we, I think that is it, yeah, so I'll, I'll just turn it over, I'll, and I think I get another microphone, right? Is this working? Yes. Hello, my name's Pat. I have a, a couple questions of, because I don't know anything about refugees. So as a refugee, do you plan to spend the rest of your life here or somewhere in your dreams, maybe to be able to go back is number one. And then number two with the program, uh, it seems to me that you've had three males so far. Um, How many females, what percentage do you know of these numbers of females who may apply and is it harder for them?
2: So... uh to answer your question, I think uh, like the WISC program, so it's kind of like a combination. So most refugees, when they are sponsored by governments, they are resettled. So once you move here, you basically rehomed. You you get your permanent residency. So you have the same rights as any Canadian citizen, except you can't vote un- until you like you apply for citizenship after like certain number of years, and then you can you can vo- like you can you can participate in the like political discourse. Uh, On a, like, is your question on a personal level? Like, for me? uh, I Like, I'm probably going to, like, stay in Canada afterwards because usually, like, I don't know, like, civil wars in general, like, even if the civil war stops, which it didn't stop in Syria yet, usually, like, the country is in complete mess for 30, 40, 50 years. So it takes for countries to actually get back on, you know, just, like, like if you like there's like for most countries when they start a civil war like for most citizens who live abroad there is nothing to go back like there is no family no infrastructure and you know so yeah on a personal level i think like most most likely i'm going to stay in canada okay. i i think i'm going to answer the second question
1: mm-hmm. um it's an important thing that most of the people we've sponsored have been males um and there are reasons for that that WUSC is aware of. Um, in refugee communities, often the resources are scarce and families would have to pay for their high school education and they, they disproportionately uh, pay for their males, male children to be educated. Um, so the reality is on the ground in refugee camps, males are disproportionately um, able to achieve the entrance requirements. Because the World University Service is aware of that discrepancy, it does have programs uh, to help promising female high school students achieve the credentials that they would need to be eligible. Um, and in fact, that is one of the other competing fundraising things from the student perspective. The students have often wanted to fundraise for those female students, to, um, but they're it doesn't mean they're coming into the university yet. Um, there are also very few female students in the pool who are eligible. And so um, we haven't actually been able, we haven't been offered any female um, uh, applicants yet, profiles. Yeah, Mm -hmm. does that make sense? So yeah, it's a problem and they're working on it. Yeah.
3: (coughs) Uh, Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Thank you very much for coming. I've uh, been following this uh, with great interest for the last four years, uh, and on the on the previous on the following on the previous question, I would like to point out that uh, most of the students that have been involved in fundraising are in fact women, <laughs> and uh, women are are at the front lines of uh, of uh, volunteerism in my mind. Not, not maybe not always in numbers, but in st- in, wor- in ways of getting things done mm-hmm. uh, could you maybe relate uh, to those early mm-hmm. women that was involved in this. Mm-hmm. I think they th- it's it's worthwhile mentioning their names and uh, sure. the great work that they've done
1: right so when the club was founded it was founded by um, uh, Grace Wuerzbaugh and Elise Pundik, Elise I'm blanking on her name, <laughs> um, uh, both of whom are, are art history or art majors. Um, just a little plug for my home department there. Um, and the club was overwhelmingly female and that's fairly consistent with trends in volunteerism in general across Canada. And that is a bit of a mystery to me, why males tend to be less involved in volunteerism. Um, the club now has some significant male support, although the biggest students that I see working who are male are the sponsored students, right, um, the the scholarship winners, so that's a a challenge, Knud, it just remains a challenge. Um, you know, I see what it does for the students, and I haven't really spoken much about that here, but when you see, like, the original students who came saying, know, the first year it was targeted towards Syrians, and those students said, I've never met a Muslim, but I mean, I guess we're gonna do this, right? And when you see what it's done, not only for the students, but for their families, like their, the connections with the families. I don't know if you would wanna talk about that at all, Abid. But um, that's been, it really has a lot of benefits for the students as well, and so we would love to see more men involved. But maybe Abid will talk about the families.
3: Yeah, how does Abdullah feel, feel about being surrounded by women all of a sudden in a male, from, coming from a male-oriented world?
1: He wouldn't let me, he hates my, my favorite picture is him sitting and like six Wusk volunteer girls looking down and smiling at him, but he doesn't like that picture, but I love it.
2: <laughs> like, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's like a mystery to me because like back like in Jordan and back home, I used to volunteer a lot. So like like when the picture I put like when I was in it was like in a book fair, and then we organized like book fairs in refugee camps, and there was like, like there was kind of back home it was kind of equal like there's like males and females like we never I've never noticed like even in that picture there was more females there was more males in that picture, but it was kind of like here it's really challenging like recruiting students, to like join our club especially male students, so like our club up like till today it's about like 80% females, which they are kind of like the driving force. For me, like it's kind of like, I don't know, Like I think the impact that does to like both Canadian students who kind of like organize this club, and the SRP like myself, like the sponsor the students, it's it's kind of immense, like as as Anne said, like um, some students never met a Middle Eastern or a Muslim before, so it's like, yeah, like, if you live your whole life in southern Alberta and you kind of come from, like, a close community, like uh, Elise Pundik, who's an art history major, she's from the past, and, like, she, like, her family, actually, I'm going to visit her family over Christmas break as well, so she hosted me for the first two Christmases because I was alone and I have no family here, so her family invited me over Christmas break, and, like, we just built this sort of, like, this connection with her family, and, like, it was kind of, for me, it was, like, it widened my horizon about, like, different cultures people in like small towns in southern alberta that they had never heard of before and like for them they kind kind of got exposed to this like middle eastern syrian culture that they wouldn't have had access to before so i think it's kind of like it benefits both sides equally so
1: Elise is, the student is actually not here for the holidays. Yep. She's in Germany, so he's going to the student's family <laughs> when she's not here. Not there. <laughs> right. like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just kind of build connection with the family. Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
4: Okay, I'm Trevor Page, um, and you mentioned that it's a challenge to, um, <clears throat> to try and find employment for refugee students so that they can themselves mobilize funding for their second and third years. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little more about how you go about trying to get employment for, for refugee students? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: uh, uh, that's, I think that's a hard question, Trevor, and I appreciate it, and maybe one that I feel like I haven't done as much as I'd like to do. Um, we have the students have been talking with the university administration about um, m- making it so that in the second term of the students' c- time here, they could get part-time work on campus, because that would build a CV. But m- my connections to industry aren't strong, and so um, I wouldn't say I've gone about that in a programmatic way that I can um, list for you, basically. Uh, the success of it um, really has come out of the students themselves being really self-motivated. Like Abid went and found work on his own, um, and that first job, job—first was that your first major? His first job at the college he got with no connections really from the university. Um, and so that, like that was his own success, and I don't think the club has quite figured out how to solve that actually. So
4: might be an idea to have a word with the Chamber of Commerce.
1: That's an awesome idea because Cam Howey um, was the student who's now at the Chamber of... That's an awesome idea, thank you. Um,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. My name is Mark Gettle. I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what WSC what other programs they have. Back in 1981, my wife and I were volunteers, UN volunteers in Fiji, and at that time, uh, WUSC actually paid for our airfare. There was some collaborative agreement between the United Nations and uh, WUSC, so I'd be interested to know what other programs WUSC is uh, having now. Yeah. and the other question to you would be uh do you have your air miles card now
2: <laughs> actually <laughs> no, i have but i never carry it with me <laughs> <laughs> yes, same,
1: same. so canadian do you, can you? Uh,
2: like i think for the like uh like wesk other pr- like the other programs that wesk offer like the main program that we fundraised for uh, like b- asides from the srp program is the shine a light program which is like it's uh it supports uh, girls education inside refugee camps because as Anne mentioned there's like a lot of cultural barriers in like refugee communities and like third world communi- communities where like girls don't have equal access to education as males so was trying to like just maneuver over that and like just kind of like provide the support that's possible The other program is the Uniterra program, which is the volunteering program. So it connects uh, Canadian students who wants to have some sort of like experience, like an overseas experience with, uh, so they can go overseas, especially like to, I think uh, like Kenya and like African countries. So they can volunteer and they can, uh, they get paid like in some sort of like a, like an honorarium from WUSC. So basically they go and help the community there. These are the two main programs that I know of, and that, like, when we went to the WESC conference in Ottawa, this is, these are the kind of, like, the three main programs they educate the local committees on, so, yeah.
0: Thanks, Leona Jacobs. Um, I'm curious, and I'm not quite sure how to frame this up so I get my, my question across, but I'm curious about the adjustment to be made when you come from such a different culture into our culture, and I know that I have moved just pro- interprovincially, and that's an adjustment. Okay, so I'm just kind of wondering if you could talk a bit more about the actual how um, it, the students are 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 how that adjustment takes place, especially when they're coming from a refugee camp to a culture that is you know at least for now still open and, and um, free and you know they, there's a whole bounty here so, and the second question I have is specific to something that was in your bio about this
2: um, thing that you started for women so if you could talk about that too yeah, for sure. so like I think the adjustment portion it's kind of like when I first like I'm gonna like kind of talk about my own experience and then like when I try to like help uh, like the new or like volunteer within like new sponsored students like I think the university because like when you first move for the first year part of your sponsorship that you live on campus so for the first kind of like eight months you're sort of coddled and the you kind of like the university community and like around campus it's really supportive and it's really accepting so you don't feel you know some sometimes there are some negative experiences that you might have when you leave campus and you kind of like interact with you know more people. but within the campus community, so we just try like for me like when, in, within my first semester, I kind of like I just I was kind of like supported by mainly university community like and my other like you know like the local community, the, like the local committee. So they were kind of like whatever I like if I need anything, they kind of like were there. they provide some sort of like social support. Also, like, I think one, like, one important thing that most students, they realize when they move here, they realize that the big difference in culture, where they came from and where they're going to like, in Canada, and especially like, you know, with the media now, so it's not, like you know, probably if you moved to Canada like 30 years ago from a refugee camp, you probably had no idea what Canada would, be, would look like. But now with the like, availability of the internet, so for me, like, before I moved here, when I knew that I'm coming to Lethbridge, I was spending hours on like googling Lethbridge and see what things I can do. Like you know, I'm like I was already planning my weekends in Lethbridge. It's like oh, like I can do this on the weekend, and there's this place, and there's that place. Like and that was like I hadn't even arrived. And I think even like most students do that. Like now I think it's like sort of like a different, like you kind of already like you build some sort of like resilience because you already know what like what to expect to a certain extent. To answer your second part, so basically like uh, yeah I co-founded like some sort of like a social enterprise uh, it was like a food vendor it's called Jiran 55 so Jiran it's in it's the Arabic word for neighbors and 55 was the number of Syrian families in Lethbridge when we started the idea so basically the 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 reason we started it is because when I worked with Lethbridge Family Services like when I got my first job there so I was basically I accompany like uh, newcomers and just translate for them because some of them they don't they have they have zero english so even when they go to the doctor to a grocery store they have no idea how to like have basic communication so i was helping them and after like you know after like 6 8 months 90% of them get jobs but talking about males like 90% of males already get jobs and they already like started buying houses settling down and they have like full time employment but the women it's so it's much harder for them to find jobs partly because of like you know the cultural barriers because they are expected to stay at home and take care of the kids. Secondly, even the women who were looking for jobs, it was harder for them to get employed because of sort of like their appearance, because most of them wear the headscarf and it's some employers, they don't prefer that because, you know, for some reason, I don't wanna get into it. <laughs> uh, and so for me, like, uh, like me and like a friend of mine who was doing uh, an internship with LifeBridge uh, Lethbridge Family Services at the, at the time and doing like research for them, So we just, like, it started from a conversation about, like, oh, like, it's so sad how these people, like, you know, these women, like, even if they're trying to work and they're trying to, like, get more experience and build their resume and actually contribute to the community because these men are contributing to the, like, contributing to the economy and they're paying taxes. But the women can't, like, even if they want to. So we try to kind of create some sort of, like, uh, like a work environment that support them. So we, uh, like we connected with women who were already sort of like, uh, like using their cooking talents. So they were already like cooking within the community. Like if somebody has an event or like inviting people over and they want more food, they would ask these women and they would pay them. Like it was just sort of like, you know, like a little community thing. And we just wanted to like expand it and like, like sort of like connect it with the larger Lethbridge community. So it doesn't just stick within the Syrian community. And we did that for about a year. Unfortunately, like a month ago or two months ago, we had to close down because I'm still a student and I don't really have time to like manage it. And my uh, partner at the time, like my business partner, he had to move to Calgary. So now we're not in business anymore, but it was fun while it lasted. So like we, like in the last three months, we we partnered with Johnny Bean, I don't know you get so we were doing like lunches every Thursday there. We uh, we did like lunches at the multicultural center. So we just tried to give access to the newcomer women to the Lethbridge community, to the larger Lethbridge community, and the, the larger Lethbridge community gets access to the cultural aspect of like you know because they are your neighbors. They they probably live down the street from you, but you don't have access to their culture and like where they, their their experiences. So that's what we did.
4: Hi, my name is Henning Mündel, and my question is for Anne. Uh, And it may be something you mentioned or was implied, but I'm not 100% clear in my mind about the, uh, at what stage uh, you get involved, or WUSC, sorry, gets involved in terms of selection. Are these refugees that have already been uh, selected by the Government of Canada to be sponsored? or does WUSC request them to be sponsored? Okay, that's one thing. And the other thing is in how many countries does WUSC do work with refugee students?
1: Great, thank you. Um, So in terms of the selection process, um, WUSC is on the ground in um, 30 different countries. I think the majority of their refugees come from, I think, eight different refugee cl- camps currently. Um, uh, and to qualify, the, the refugees have to be UN H- um, HCR certified refugees. They have to be un- under 25, and they have to be unmarried, um, as well as the other, they have to meet the criteria of Canadian universities. Um, And then they get, so they select them and I think marks are, their high school marks and their drive is a big part of it, but I think an even bigger part of it is that they're actually interviewing them and making sure that they will fit well into Canadian society, right? And I think that makes, that when when the students arrive here, they're already really pre-selected for a lot of skills that we would value. Um,
4: Sorry, they interviewing, that is WUSC, WUSC, people on the ground.
1: yes. Um, And then we actually have to approve, like a committee um, here says, okay, we're we're ranking these three candidates that you sent us. The first year I was thinking, oh, I can't do that. They sent us three, the other two are gonna be stuck. Like, I'm not sure I can emotionally handle that. But in fact, they sort of, there are enough spots for all the people they they send around. So if they're not picked up here, they'll be picked up at one of the other schools. and then, then we start the immigration process. So um, I'm, you asked where I come in, and I'm not sure if you meant personally. Personally, like, I'm the person at the university who signs that I will make sure that they're, like, I'm the immigration sponsor, the named sponsor. Um, the students haven't felt like doing that so far, <laughs> but that's, that's fine. Um, yeah, so and then they go through the normal security checks and all of those things. So that is sort of about 8 months generally and it's always a bit of a worry that school starts in September and we typically don't find out until maybe the second week of August when if their flight has been booked, like when are they landing here? Have they been fully approved? When's the flight, right? So it's always a bit of a a bit of a tight timing.
4: Sorry, just to mm-hmm. get that completely clear so these are unhcr refugees uh picks them out and selects them and finds a home for them and then uh the the canadian embassy approves those applications
1: yes absolutely correct
4: okay Mm -hmm. thank you my name is henry heinen (laughs) excuse me and i applaud the students for having voted and giving four dollars, now to shift the focus, there's a huge administration and faculty. Have they been challenged to do the same or
1: better? You want to do that one? <laughs> 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 um, I I I love that question. I, hard as it is, um, the so what the faculty did. Um, we, we started a refugee committee as faculty, Jamie and I are both on that committee, um, and we fundraised in 2015, and up until about a month ago, um, and we partnered with other groups in Lethbridge and raised money, and as a, as a coalition with our other partners, we brought in um, five, four families, five families altogether. The university, I would say, supported one and a half of those families would be my estimation of what our financial contribution to that was. Um, in 2015-16, that fundraising was easy. Um, I I'm an art historian, I don't, I don't know if that's clear. Like, I'm not an expert in this, but basically we, we sort of were like, oh, we're collecting money, and people were giving it to us. That was how the fundraising more or less worked. Um, that has become significantly harder in the last year or two here. Uh, when we put out you know the emails or the calls that I do, um, the money isn't just flowing in in the way it did in 2015 and 16. And I understand why that is in a lot of ways. Um, it was headline news when the Syrian refugee crisis was happening, but those numbers aren't changing significantly. Like, it's still a problem. Um, but the, the support isn't quite as free-flowing now. Um, in terms of specific administrative support, um, we we don't make our donors public, but I can say we had significant buy-in from both faculty and staff and administration. Mike Mann, the president of the university, gave a, a really significant personal donation, which I th- he did tell me I could tell people about. But in any case, um, you know, like a, lots of numbers, lots of zeros, um, and. In terms of other kinds of buy-in, it's very difficult at the university to get um, things like, like there's no equivalent of getting every faculty to pay $2 off their paycheck, that's just not there. Um, We know faculty pay into the bursary that supports this um, and and staff, um, but in terms of getting $2 per person, I would love that, but it's not possible, so.
4: Hi, I'm Ian Hurdle. Um, we, most of us can't imagine this, but what were your thoughts like when you were facing the upcoming interview and the actual interview process?
2: <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, like it's it's really, it, it is nerve wracking because like, it's kind of like your future is decided. Like I, I probably didn't mention that, but like I applied to WUSC in 2015 like a year before I got sponsored and I so at the beginning like when you when you apply you send your like kind of like transcripts and your high school diploma and all of your papers and you like a personal essay and if you get approved you get invited to an English exam and if you pass you get invited to an interview so like I did that in 2015 and I passed the English exam then I got in like uh, invited to an interview and I just like like destroy that interview like like i did so bad on that interview because and at that point like i ended like i like i remember when i applied the next year i was like yeah like it made like i left that room and i knew that i'm not gonna get it because i think like at that point you know like i was so desperate i just wanted to leave jordan so they were like oh what, what are your plans like what are you like why do you want to come to canada like why do you want to pursue your education? Like, why is this important to you? Like, you know, they just—it's—it's it's about like 45 minutes interview. Uh, like, somebody from WESC is there, somebody from the Canadian Embassy is there, and somebody from um, I think the Canadian Immigration Office. Like, for, they come from Canada to like interview you. So it's like you're like these three people have sort of like, you know, my future in their hand. <laughs> but I think like. When, when I uh, applied the second year, I just had, like, more clear view about, like, why I want to actually move to Canada. Like, it wasn't just to get out of Jordan. For me, it was, like, more, no, I want to get to that country. I want to get education. I had, like, more clear view about, like, internally about my own reasons why I want to, like, make this big change and move across the world to a country that I don't really know much about. And like leave my family, leave everything behind, and just like go and start like new life from scratch. But I think it's it's absolutely oh, yeah, it's absolutely nerve-wracking because the process take about ten months, or even like about like ten months to a year to like to fully know. So for me, like when I knew that I'm like in May, I knew that I got accepted in in, in the University of Lethbridge. But in May they started the um, immigration process. So for me, like. I might not get approved by the government of Canada. Like the University of Lethbridge, Luth- of they were like, yeah, great, like he can come. But basically I got a phone call on August 2nd, and they were like, your flight is on August 22nd. So they were like, you have, and I had a job at the time. So they were like, you have 20 days to pack your life, quit your job, and move. And then like 10 days later, you start school. So in a Canadian university. So it's like, it's just, it, it's a big change. So like the first, that's why like, like when I said like the first probably year, it's, it's kind of like the hardest because you just, sometimes like you're walking down the hall of the university and be like, what am I doing here? Like who are all of these people? Like, like it's just, it, it's a really sudden big change that kind of like it's, you know, it takes time to like adjust and like phase out. So yeah, <laughs> I hope that answered your question.
3: I think we have time for one more question. Uh, it's not really a question. It's a comment. Uh, uh, I think we should also recognize that Al Barnhill uh, donated a significant amount of money to s- establish a scholarship for refugees at the university. Mm-hmm. And on, on talking about money, uh, thanks to your generosity we collected $300 here today, so SACPA <coughs> will be matching that. Uh, So thank you very much for coming, and uh, it's all yours to wind it up. Well, yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, well, thank you, everyone, for coming. And I guess uh, just to finish, uh, maybe uh, I could ask our presenters if they have a uh, question they'd like to leave us with that we can maybe think about for the next week or two.
1: Personally, I've been really inspired by this whole process. It's been really important to me, and especially by the students, and that sense of each student at the beginning being really overwhelmed by the, by the immensity of the problem. But to see that each person making a small donation or doing a small thing has led to this really significant change, has literally changed people's lives, Um, leads me to my question, which is, what are you going to do this week to change the world?
0: Excellent. So think about that.